Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. So, welcome to episode 202, 202 of the podcast. This is Douglas Wilson. Uh, thanks for joining me. It's good to be back together again. So, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit, talk a little bit about what's going on uh, here in Moscow. Uh, this, I've said for some years that what's happening in Moscow is a microcosm of what's happening all over the country. And I think in certain ways that's, uh, that remains true, although I think it might be a little bit heightened or a little bit inflamed uh, here. Uh, we've got various challenges going on. There's the, uh, you remember, some of you have followed what's happened here. We had a psalm sing protesting a masking mandate, outdoor psalm sing where we sang three psalms and the doxology and then left, and three of our people were arrested at that psalm sing, and then subsequently charges were dropped because the city officials found out that what we were doing was not illegal, not even against the mandate that they issued. Uh, So they dropped the charges, but now the city is being sued. Then there's the separate sticker gate snarl where two of my grandsons uh, put some stickers up on poles that said, um, Soviet Moscow enforced because we care with a hammer and sickle. They were cited with misdemeanor charges. And then uh, Nate, my son, was cited and charged because he is the one who had the stickers made. So that court case is grinding its way along very slowly. No, res- we'll, we'll report loudly when we have some sort of a breakthrough on that. And then we've had the we had the lockdown order. We had the uh, masking order, which a lot of our people, out of principle, not out of a scofflaw attitude, but out of principle, disregarded. We um, disregarded the requirement for us to mask up in our worship service. Uh, we practiced a few things, like having hand sanitizer available and whatnot, but we didn't. We didn't roll over on uh, that when the. When the lockdown order first came, before anybody knew what was actually going on, uh, we went to online services for three three weeks, and then we went to drive-in services for three weeks, and then we went back in person, and we've been meeting in person ever since over the course of the year. So this is a small town. Uh, it's a pretty large church. A lot of people have been meeting. So we've got this division. All right. Now that that division is is interesting but human history is full of those sorts of things right people divide have people have conflicts that's one of the things that's normal but all of this sets the stage for the thing i want to talk a little bit about which is the the schizophrenic mentality of many of the people on the other side of this thing and you can see it very clearly in such a small town and i'm going to be I'm going to be writing about this on my blog as well, probably to, probably tomorrow, which by the time you're listening to this will be a few weeks in the past. So I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to the time when people wave at me on the street 
they use all of their fingers. I think that would be not, would be nice if they used all of their fingers. It is. Um, I've gotten what you might call twenty percent of a wave uh, <laughs> a number of times, and I've been yelled at. So in the, over the course of the last six months, I've been yelled at, cussed off, flipped off, you know, numerous times. Now this isn't part of the current setup, but let me tell you this story. This because this actually happened to me. Uh, probably 25 years ago, a uh, long time ago, one of the first skirmishes in the culture war was a proposition in Idaho that uh, did not give, th- that said we're not according any special rights to homosexuals. There was a proposition on the ballot. And uh, the League for Women Voters was having a, a forum or a panel discussion on this. And uh, so I was invited to be on the panel, and another friend of mine was on the panel. And, and then people on the other side. And when we got to the, the venue where the, this, this uh, thing was going to be, the room was packed. And it was packed from, with homosexual activists, I think, flown in from New York. They had all kinds of you know, pre-printed signs. Idaho is too great to hate and no hate here. Those, I think those were the two signs. And the room was just packed. So our people were out in the hall or standing along the, the edges. And at one point in the, the, the crowd was kind of surly. And at one point in the evening, I wrote out, uh, I was sitting next to the moderator. I wrote on a slip of paper, uh, you better call the cops um, so that I could just slide it over to the moderator and not have to write it out uh, if something erupted. It was, that, it was kind of dicey that way. Well, at the end of the evening, there was one guy who'd been heckling me through, throughout. And at the end of the evening, he had a sign that said, no hate here. And he stood up at the, when it was over, hoiked the sign up, no hate here, and with his other hand, flipped me off. And this was before smartphones. I wish I, I, wish I had a camera on my phone and I'd been quick with it because I would have had a photo of a snarling person, no hate here, <laughs> giving me the bird. Oh, well, so here's the thing I'm building up to. All of these people, the, the, the people who are yelling and screaming and foaming and flipping off and cussing are the people who believe, sincerely believe in their heart of hearts that they are the tolerant, serene, take-it-easy ones. They're the ones with the Buddhist wind chimes on the front porch. They're the ones with the pretty rainbow flag. They're the ones that, who uh, want to ask plaintively, what's so What's so wrong with peace, love, and understanding? And they're the ones who cuss people out in stores, who yell at people on the street. Who now? This is this is. Uh, I'll just put it this way: this is unusual. It's like being attacked by pacifists with machetes. Um, pacifists shouldn't be wielding machetes. That's not your. That's not your gig. I would understand it if a tolerant person came up to me with tears in their eyes saying, you're Doug Wilson, aren't you? Uh, and then with tears in their eyes saying, I believe that you're doing a lot of damage to our town and I wish you would stop it or go away or, or find, your, you know, find your inner peace, do something. That, I would differ with that person, but at least their message and their manner would cohere. It would line up. It's the tolerant F you 
lovers of tolerance that are beyond my ability to comprehend. So it's fundamentally irrational. That's the place we've gotten to. Continuing with episode 202 of the podcast, we're continuing our study of homartiology, and our sin word this time is dolos, D-O-L-O-S, dolos, D-O-L-O-S, which means guile, subtlety, or deceit. Although the KJV renders it in different ways, they all boil down to being tricksy. Not being like that is praiseworthy, and we see this in a number of places. So, we can see the sinfulness of the sin by the way the Scripture, or the way the New Testament praises not doing it. Uh, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. John 1.47. Now, that's an interesting thing because Nathanael responds to that by saying, How do you know me? Which seems like an odd thing. You know, how would you know that I'm such an honest, trustworthy person? Uh, and Jesus answers that before you were called, uh, and I saw you, you were under the fig tree, and I saw you. My assumption is that Nathaniel was under the fig tree praying about some issue involving guile. And the Lord welcomes him with, Behold, the Israelite without any guile. Anyway, that's, that part's just speculation. So, but Jesus praises Nathaniel as someone without guile. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2 3, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. So Paul says to the Thessalonians, look, we weren't like this. We weren't that way. First uh, Peter 2, 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings. So guile is something we're supposed to set aside. We're supposed to set it aside. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. All of this is dolos. Guile, subtlety, deceit. That's 1 Peter 2.22. 1 Peter 3.10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. And the Apostle Paul sarcastically refers to himself as being someone who tripped up the Corinthians this way. But remember, this is sarcasm. But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. 2 Corinthians 12.16. So, another translation for this word is subtlety, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. That's Matthew 26, 4. In Acts 13, 10, it says, And said, O full of all subtlety, there it is, and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Then the word deceit, another translation, is more straightforward, and it's the, it is the translation of this word a couple of times. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, there it is, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. That's Mark 7.22. This word is used a lot. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, there it is, malignity, whisperers, Romans 1.29. Notice again that sin, like grapes, comes in bunches. What company does this deceit keep? What company does deceit keep? Well, envy, murder, debate, malice, uh, whispers, all of that. There's one place where the KJV translates the word as craft, and it parallels the passage from Matthew 26 I quoted earlier, where it is rendered as subtlety. Same, same Greek word. 
After two days was the feast of the Passover, and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. That's Mark 14.1. So, continuing on with podcast 202, we come now to our book review section, and uh, this was a fun little book. It's not a long, it's not a long read. I've been through it twice already. Nancy and I recently went off on vacation where we were next to a lake and sat and read a lot and just sort of had a wonderful time. It was a wonderful vacation. A lot of uh, good unwinding. But one of the things I like to do when, when unwinding is we would periodically go into town, nose out uh, bookstores or used bookstores and hunt around to see what we can find. And one of the books I picked up was a, a, a choice little book called The Basic Laws of Human Stupidity. The Basic Laws of Human Stupidity. Now, this is the kind of book that you, when you start to read, you think, oh, this is just a funny book, you know, a, a satire, and everything is grossly, grossly overstated, and so we can have, we can have a little fun with it, right? But then as you get into it, you, you start thinking, oh, no, wait, Nicholas Talib uh, of uh, anti-fragile fame and the Black Swan fame wrote the foreword to this, and he makes the same observation. You, first, you're thinking, you think you're reading a satire, and then you realize, no, this is deadly serious. The Basic Laws of Human Stupidity. Uh, this book reminds me, there's, this book belongs in your library next to a couple of other books of the same sort. Uh, there's the Peter Principle and there's Parkinson's Law. The Peter Principle and Parkinson's Law. The Peter Principle, if I sometimes I mix these up, but the Peter Principle is that men in a, a person in a corporation gets promoted, does a good job, gets promoted, does a good job, gets promoted, and he keeps getting promoted until he finds himself in a position that he doesn't do a good job at, and so he's promoted to his level of incompetence. And then he stays there for the next 20 years until retirement. So that's, you're promoted to your level of incompetence. Then there's Parkinson's law, which is that work expands to fill the time allotted for it. All right, that's another. So that's the sort of thing, okay, this is a send up. This is a funny little, no. Okay, this is, this is true. This happens. Well, the basic laws of, of human stupidity is a, a book like that. So the um, the man who wrote it, Cipolla, uh, I don't know how to pronounce Italian names, C-I-P-O-L-L-A. He was a scholar who wrote who wrote this essay in English, uh, and it was privately published over here. You know, just a limited print run. And then somebody uh, a decade or so later, somebody overseas got a hold of it and it got and it got translated into various different languages and became a monster bestseller in these other languages. And then finally, uh, someone decided to print it in English, which was the language it was originally written in, and that's the edition that, that I've got. But this, this book is a mega bestseller, and it deserves to be. The, for example, the five laws, the, the, there are five basic laws, and, and I'll just give you a taste of the first two. Uh, first. His definition of stupidity is uh, a stupid person is someone who acts in a way that's harmful to others without receiving any benefit himself 
and possible harm himself. So a stupid person is someone who acts destructively for others and neutrally or destructively for himself. He doesn't really get anything out of it. So that's a stupid person. Uh, As opposed to a malevolent person, you could have a bandit who steals from you. He takes something from you, but he gets something. He's if someone steals your wallet, you're one wallet down. He's one wallet up. If he, if he steals $100 from you, you don't have $100 and he has $100, right? So uh, that's a bandit. But a stupid person is the kind of person who somehow manages to destroy your $100 and doesn't get anything out of it himself. So that's what a stupid person is. Uh, his first law is that The number of stupid people in any given situation is always larger than you think. The number of stupid people in any given situation is always larger than you think. Uh, Law number two is, if I'm remembering this rightly, law number two is that the, the ratio of stupid people in a given cohort of people has nothing to do with what those people do with the rest of their lives or their other characteristics. In other words, when you examine backhoe operators or Nobel Prize winners or university faculty members, you're going to find the same basic number, the same basic percentage of stupid people in that cohort. So if you take out all, if you isolate university faculty, you're going to have the same number of stupid people as you do in some blue-collar profession. If you took all the plumbers in a big city, you're going to have a certain number of them stupid, and that number is going to be bigger than you think. If you do the same thing with all the university professors, you're going to get roughly the same ratio. They'll be stupid, and that number is going to be larger than you think. And he breaks this down in some extremely helpful ways. It also helps to give you some understanding of what's going on in our political realm. Uh, he he points out how hard it is, uh, how hard it is to um, uh, defend against stupidity, because there is no plan. <laughs> when you're defending against burglars, or when you're defending against other kinds of clever, malevolent people, you can. There's some sort of rationality to their plan, and so you can anticipate what they might be after, and you can guard against it. But when you're trying to protect yourself against stupidity. There is no rational defense because there's no rational offense. There's no telling what might happen. But there are things that you can do nonetheless. And so I commend that book to you, The Basic Laws of Human Stupidity. If you enjoyed this week's episode, check out Doug's book, Empires of Dirt, Secularism, Radical Islam, and the Mere Christendom Alternative at canopress.com.